Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Michael Gordon. Michael is co-founder of Kush Tourism, a national cannabis tour company. Their tours create the opportunity for locals and tourists to get behind the scenes of the new cannabis industry. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, Shango. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, I've been watching Kush Tourism grow over the years um, as your business model grew and evolved. And I suspect that the history of your company, which we'll talk about, has many lessons for cannabis entrepreneurs that are going to be in the early days of any state that's normalizing. But let's start by establishing what Kush Tourism is today. What are your offerings? So, Shango, we, we started as a tour company a few years ago, and, and we've really been expanding. Our roots here, of course, are in Seattle, Washington, one of the first two states to legalize cannabis. So we offer a behind-the-scenes tour, kind of like a winery or brewery tour, where we get to introduce you to that master grower, to somebody who does oil extractions, uh, glass blowing, so you can learn everything from A to Z of how it's made. And we're able to offer this sort of experience in four states now because we've got Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska coming online. So no matter where you go, you're going to have access as either a, say you're a curious adult and you want to take your wife out on something fun or, or maybe you're that entrepreneur who really wants to understand how a new industry is evolving. Uh, it's a really great personal opportunity to go behind the scenes. So your website shows that you are in these different states and as the states normalize, I'm assuming that your um, that the tours evolve over time because uh, you know it takes a while so so the cannabis is legalized, but then you know there are not companies there for you to give tours at for day one. What do you see as being the key markers when you know that it's time to set up a tour in a new state? Oh, that's that's a great question. Boy, and, and it really has evolved here in Washington State. I mean, our first cannabis tour here in Seattle was two months before the first retail store opened up. I mean, you could imagine the challenges of what is a cannabis tour at that point? Uh, what is cannabis culture? How do you define that? And one of the nice things, especially here in Seattle, is cannabis culture has been around for such a long time. We look at Seattle Hemp Fest, which has been here for 20 plus years. You've got Jimi Hendrix. I mean, we've had some of the best bud up here in the Northwest between BC and Humboldt uh, for a very, very long time. So it's deeply rooted in our culture. So the first step was saying, hey, we want to share this culture with everybody. And you can do that by talking about the medicine, by going to testing facilities, by going to a place like Hemp Fest Central. Uh, but as the things started to evolve, we had retail stores open up so people could legally buy their product. Uh, we started having growers who understood that it was important to get their brand out there and share education and awareness around the plant. The same thing happened for processors. Kind of the magic spark uh, is not only having tourism available, but having an industry that is open to the idea of education. I mean, that's, that's the foundation of everything that we do, Shango, is making sure that we're providing access to something that's typically been black market and hidden behind closed doors and saying, hey, you know what, guys, 
this this is a mother. She she worked as a lawyer for 20 years. You know, she she coaches her her girls' soccer team and softball team, but she also is a master grower. Uh, you know, incredibly <laughs> professional. She she's on top of her game, and she wants to tell you all about it. And when you're able to expose people from all over the world. Uh, to that sort of individual, all of the stigma disappears. I was gonna say I like that idea too because um, what you're doing is you're you're uh, you're making the industry seem less scary to newbies, which is really the whole point of normalization, so that the stigma is taken away. Sure, and it doesn't even just seem less scary. It is less scary. It's a highly regulated market. The people who are in the legal industry right now have been working extremely hard and diligently, and that's the only way they got there. So that we don't see people running around with guns and masks. Uh, it's, it's quite the opposite. You know, you might get sandwiches at a local shop after work and, and smoke a joint, but, but there's no sort of a scary gangster mentality. It's, it's all but disappeared here in Washington. So, you know, you mentioned that you your first tour happened about two months before the first store opened. But, you know, I've, I've seen your company name around longer than that. Were you guys giving tours in the, the pre-recreational market when it was just medical? Yeah, absolutely. It was so much fun because we were able to take people into a medical facility and say, hey, here's what the candy shop looks like. There are 40 jars. Here are the strains. This is why CBD is good. Here are the cannabinoids and really provide access to this education for the first time anywhere in the entire world. But there are also the challenges because uh, your average person can't go into a medical store and buy pot, which of, of course they're interested in. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with uh, companies like Winter Life Co-op. Back before mm -hmm. recreational stores opened up, there were these delivery companies in Seattle, Washington. Uh, they were providing uh, what was dubbed as a stopgap measure. Uh, hey, it was legal to sell weed. It's legal to smoke it. It's legal to buy it. But there were no stores open. So these delivery services started saying, hey, pot is medical for everybody. We'll start delivering it to you. Uh, so they were placing ads in, in magazines and newspapers. They had a website. And it was like, holy cow, what is happening in this industry right now? I, I can't believe these guys are, are professional drug dealers with a website and, and not getting in any trouble. So although there weren't retail stores open up, uh, surely we could point them to the stranger back page and say, hey, look at all these retail stores. I'm sorry, look at all these delivery services. I know they're not totally legal, but... Uh, the police chief has said that they're providing a stopgap measure. Here's an issue with the stranger. You guys have fun and stay out of trouble. Uh, so, so there was always interesting workarounds. You know, I, I've never been able to buy, to sell, or touch marijuana, but I'm here in the education side. Uh, you know, if you if you're looking to just get higher than you've ever been before, uh, you know, maybe this tour isn't isn't for you. But if you if you'd like to understand what lights they use in a grow operation and why they take clones from where they do, you know, really focused on education because you can get stoned back home, but you can never walk into a grow operation and ask those intimate questions. So what has the transition been like for you uh, from dealing with uh, medical company owners and then going through the transition to working with recreational company owners? I mean, in my experience, um, you know, and this is a generalization, um, they've got different approaches to the business. And I'm sure that with you bringing people into their operations, you've probably noticed a difference as well. Sure. You know, uh, we always highlight the best in the industry that we have. Uh, for instance, I know Stephanie Viscovich was so kind to open her doors uh, with her dispensary back before uh, before the recreational stores opened up, and she had such a heavy influence on medical. So, so you know, uh, we didn't deal with any of the, the shady folks. Everybody was incredibly helpful and open-armed, but what we've seen with the transition 
is, is a, an ability to better leverage our resources. Uh, for instance, we produce uh, cannabis tourism maps, so if you come into a legal state, you know where you can make a purchase, what the local laws are, what you can and can't do. Uh, we distribute, oh gosh, Ingo, we probably distribute 400,000 plus of these maps a year in three different states, uh, you know, probably 2,000 hotels. And when I'm able to leverage that and say, hey, you've got a grow operation, but now I can give you advertisements and it, it gets printed 200,000 times every six months, uh, I'm able to drive these guys more value. And then they say, hey, we take you to the grow, now we can go to the retail store, you can actually try Dogstar Cannabis's product. You saw where it was grown. You have this intimate connection with the master grower, and it produces value on all sides. So, so that's been the most exciting part is being able to create more value for everybody involved. You know, I was thinking about um, the flyer that you were just the the map that you were just describing, and the entrepreneur in me went, "Oh, there's another revenue stream as well." And so, um, you know. Uh, in the early days, as you were growing, uh, did you find that you needed to make sure that you could develop other revenue streams in addition to the tours? Because selling advertising into your map and then distributing it in other states, I mean, that's almost an entirely separate business, but under the same idea. And you probably have got not only more legal flexibility, but also it's an entirely different kind of revenue stream. How, how diversified were you guys? Or were you really, you know, majority focused on doing the tourism and moving human bodies around the city? So we first uh, got our foot into the industry via the tours. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity for PR right when everything was becoming legal for the first time. Uh, we were lucky enough to have the first tour in Washington State to a slew of an incredible amount of media. I mean, we've been in every TV show, every every radio channel, uh, you know, up until the point where the History Channel uh, featured us this year, which is an incredible opportunity. But you know what? Tours, tours are good. Uh, it creates a, a good job, but it's been it was very difficult. It was an uphill battle trying to make a living. Uh, one of the ways we wanted to promote our tours were in the hotel rack cards. So when you're in the hotel lobby and you see that, let's go whitewater rafting, let's check out a winery tour, I wanted to say cannabis tours. Try out the Kush tour. Uh, the reality was, though, at that startup point of our life when we were working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, getting paid $500 a month, uh, it was a beautiful thing that I'm so happy we've made it through. Uh, we couldn't afford to, to advertise there. And this is where one of our first big pivots occurred, Shango. Uh, we wanted to do these, these, uh, these brochures, but we couldn't afford it. So what we did is we worked with a few of the local retail stores that said, hey, why don't we work together? I'm going to advertise you guys on these brochures. I'm going to advertise my tours. Then we're able to split up the cost of this distribution. Well, that ended up being one of our biggest revenue streams. Uh, the stores really enjoyed it. It drove a lot of businesses. Uh, we worked very closely with the Seattle Concierge Association as well. Uh, and it worked so well to the point that we're like, hey, you know what? We should really pursue this. Now we've got over a, probably 175 advertisers in three different states. Uh, we've been open, uh, welcomed with open arms to this. And this distribution was difficult to achieve, Django. We were talking, I called these guys every two weeks for six months before they gave me the green light to even distribute in those locations. So we're, it's always been an uphill battle. But goodness, once the floodwaters break through, you, you can recognize some great opportunities. Uh, we also had the good fortune of having strong online resources. Uh, if you're looking up, uh, you know, if you come to Washington, you're like, recreational cannabis, we pop up number one. 
and that holds true for Oregon and Vegas and all of these other states coming on. So we're able to drive a huge amount of business via our resources in addition to our tours. I think another good thing to point out here is the importance of building your alliances within the cannabis community because, you know, you solved a capital issue, meaning you didn't have enough money to get the maps printed by instead of fundraising and asking for money, you went and you created agreements with other cannabis companies who shared your ideals and your goals, and then we're able to you know throw all of your money into the kitty to make the maps to to your, yourselves. And you know I think that a lot of entrepreneurs when they're starting out they're thinking about all the money that they need to raise for this project or that project. And I think that's a really good example how working together to help your allies get what they want can help you get what you want. Yeah, and, and you know there there are two kind of lessons that we really learned in this. One one has to do with MVP, which is called a minimum viable product, and the other one is. It's the advertising agency model that we follow. So the MVP is how do you test something out uh, really, really fast? Like, hey, we've got this idea for the maps, but how do we test it without spending $20,000 and four months to do it? And then I actually, uh, we work with a couple of local universities and we postured that same question to it. How do you test this map without actually paying 20 grand and how fast can you do it? Well, the answer is it costs about $40 and takes about a day and a half. Uh, you, you find a couple people who are willing to work with you. You does design something, go to FedEx, cut it up, and you put it in the concierge's hands. You find out whether or not people are willing to pay for it. You find out if it's an effective resource, and you've learned it in 36 hours. And as a startup company, it's important to accelerate your learning processes. So I'd always encourage you guys out there, you know, especially in the cannabis industry where things are rapidly changing, test something out. And it probably only is going to take you 24 to 36 hours to do it, learn what you can from it, and then make your next decision. That's great. Um, yeah. And the other piece to that, Shango, is, is the advertising agency model. We saw uh, an interesting thing happening in print. If, let's say you advertise in a local publication in your retail store. Well, you're paying for distribution that's in Seattle and the east side. You're reaching this huge demographic. When the reality is you probably only want to target the people who are, say, four miles away from your store. That's where most of your business is going to come from. So if you're able to distribute that cost of the distribution between 15 stores, you're only paying for that, that distribution that's around your store. You're able to like carve out that little piece of the distribution you want without having to afford the entire page. So those two ideas put together uh, really enabled us to pursue these maps. Yeah, that makes sense. Then it's it's a highly targeted group. Not only is it targeted to uh, tourists who are interested in cannabis, but then it's also geographically targeted as well so that they're closer to your store. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. As a cannabis entrepreneur, you know how challenging recruiting quality talent can be. Your day is already busy enough, and yet there is an ever-growing pile of resumes on your desk, and your team is begging you to hire more help. Hiring the right person can make a profound impact on your company. There's no reason that you have to suddenly be an expert hiring manager. Not when there is Viridian Staffing. Viridian Staffing recruits solely for adult-use cannabis, medical marijuana, and hemp companies and those that service them. Viridian Staffing's recruiters each have over 10 years of experience, and they will use that experience to recruit the kind of employees that will make you look good. Whether you're looking for a master grower, extractor, grow room support, or trimming, Viridian can find an appropriate person in your area. 
They can even recruit administrative or graphic design professionals who may not need cannabis experience. Because you are a startup, you may also need human resources help for a while. Viridian staffing can make sure that your HR files are complete and keep you out of trouble with state and federal employment requirements. Because the cannabis industry is booming, cannabis recruiting companies are popping up all over the country. But good marketing does not mean good recruiting. Some of the recruiting shops that have opened are run by novices who do not yet have a thorough understanding of employment law and the complexities of hiring for cannabis. Don't hire an amateur to find you a professional. Consider Viridian Staffing to make that stack of resumes disappear and complete your team with exactly the hire you were hoping for. You can find out more at viridianstaffing.com. That's V-I-R-I-D-I-A-N staffing.com. And now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is Michael Gordon, co-founder of Kush Tourism. So before the break, we were talking about how your company has grown and the product that you deliver uh, both to tourists in, in the way of taking them behind the scenes of the new legal cannabis industry, but also the outreach that you're doing for your cannabis partners by putting a cannabis map in the hand of tourists that may or may not actually ever end up on the tour. And you know, Michael, I was thinking during the break that, you know, there's got to be some obstacles that even though cannabis is legal in the states that you have tours in, that there still must be some obstacles, either legal or cultural, that are still causing you some grief. Can you give me an example or two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a funny thing. You would think being in the ancillary business, not buying, selling, or touching cannabis, you wouldn't have many obstacles. But my goodness, that is not the truth. Everything from banking, can I advertise here? What does the insurance policies look like? Who's willing to work with us? Has been a major headache. Uh, to give an example, I've been trying to work with Visit Seattle for the past, oh gosh, two years now and say, hey, can we advertise our tour here? It's totally legal. We don't buy, sell, or touch cannabis. And well, we've, we've climbed up the flagpole, I've taken the, the VP on a tour, or the VP bought some cookies, gave one to the president, you know, kind of as, as a joke, but I, until I get the board of directors on the tour, it, it probably won't happen. And we, we see these obstacles all the time, Django. I think one of the biggest ones that we had to overcome uh, was in cannabis tours when there's a certain amount of infrastructure that needs to be established. Uh, for us, that's tours, activities, and accommodations. If you come to Seattle or Colorado or Oregon, you need a place to stay. Uh, where you can consume cannabis, you need things to do to really create that whole picture. You know, if you go to Napa Valley, you can stay at the vineyard, you can do the tasting tour, you've got an incredible vacation plan. So what we did is we, we had to go out there and, and hit the phones up and say, hey guys, here's our idea. Cannabis tourism people are going to be flocking from all over the world. Do you know someone who's been to Amsterdam? It's not because of windmills and bicycles, is it because they had pot shops. So we started creating this buzz. We said people are going to be coming. These are professionals. They need a place to stay. They need things to do. And we started calling up everybody and pleading our case. You know, would it be okay if, if someone smoked pot on your property, maybe in the backyard? Not a big deal. And we started developing this infrastructure of bed and breakfasts, uh, of hotels that are willing to work with us. And finding activities, uh, you know, like the Kush Tour, like pipe blowing classes, like high painting down in Colorado, where people could actually have a great 
time and enjoy their vacation. And I, I'd say that was one of the biggest obstacles is it was just developing the idea of what is cannabis tourism and getting people on the bandwagon. Of course, now people understand what Kush tourism is and they travel from all over the world to experience it. So, so thankfully that that ship has sailed, but there's still a lot, a lot of room to improve. You know, I think that a lot of people, when they are considering getting into cannabis, they're just thinking, oh, I'm going to get in, I'm going to set up shop, I'm going to sell my stuff, I'm going to get rich. And they don't realize that if we're still at the pioneer level of this game, where where especially if you're in a normalizing state, but even in the, the already legal states, that if you're moving into a new niche of the industry, that you yourself are probably going to have to be the person to normalize it, just as you described where you were the person reaching out to bed and breakfast and say, have you ever considered allowing cannabis? Because you needed to get all those people on the board so the environment of Seattle as a whole was welcoming so that you could even get your customers in the city to offer them a tour. I don't think a lot of people consider that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But you know what it really boils down to is if you come into an idea with your heart and soul, something that you're really passionate about, it's something that the community will embrace and support you in. So can you couple that with a good idea and 60 to 80 hours of work a week and you can do that for a couple years, you know, there's a good chance you're going to make it through. And what a cool time to be in this industry. I mean, everybody working now is a pioneer. Uh, we, we are creating the Jim Beans and the Anheuser-Busch's of the cannabis industry, but we're also creating the Elysian Brewings. We're creating these little craft companies, and it's a big ball of play -Doh. Whatever you want to do right now, if you've got a dream and you know how to execute it, you can make it true. And that's the most fun, exciting part of this industry. So early on, you and your co-founder, Chase, were, uh, you know, constantly weighing risk and and there's business risk yes and and there's okay do we do we have enough finances to last until we're going to get our next infusion of capital there's that kind of risk but then there's also the kind of risk where is the city of Seattle going to bust us for for having coming in contact with the cannabis and maybe being too flagrantly making money around it. I mean, not to say that the city of Seattle ever had those thoughts, but you know, you know, two years ago, we weren't really sure how these laws were going to play themselves out. What did you and Chase do to determine how much risk you were willing to experience to make this happen? Ooh, that is a great question. Uh, you, you know, for something as volatile as cannabis, where you could end up in federal prison, uh, we played it very safe. You know, never has cannabis consumption been a part of our tour, because in the state of Washington, according to the marijuana clubs law that was passed, it would be a Class C felony to directly or indirectly contribute to somebody consuming cannabis in a public place with any sort of pecuniary gain, any sort of financial incentive is what that means. So uh, I, I don't want a Class C felony. I don't want to go to jail. Goodness knows the business is, uh, my opinion, I don't, it's not worth it to me. The risk isn't worth it. Um, but you, you still have to play that line of the gray area of, hey, I'm doing this the right way. I've read the laws. You know, through and through, I've gotten second opinions on it. Is it okay what we're doing? And, and the reality is, uh, yeah, it, it is okay. And, and we've, we've played our cards right. Uh, a certain bit of, of luck, but, you know, it, it's also the approach that you take. You know, if you come into this tour idea and, you, and you, you've got girls with pasties on and you're handing out joints and blunts because you think it's okay and it's in the gray area, you're painting a picture of the cannabis industry that nobody wants. Nobody from the city wants, nobody who's 
who's looking at you as a case study saying, here's what cannabis tours could be, wants to see the shady business. But if you if you are bringing professionals in, I mean, I, we see the lawyers, doctors, couples, uh, a disproportionate number of veterinarians. Uh, <laughs> with, when they see this group of people coming, there is no stigma. It disappears entirely. I'm, we haven't had a single negative news report come out ever. And I think they look to our company and say, hey, these are the guys doing it the right way. They're the pioneers showing us what cannabis tourism is. What is the potential of this industry? And it's really important, you know, as, as somebody who is an advocate for cannabis legalization, for medical, uh, as an advocate for, for seeing the stigma disappear, that we, we take the right approach. It's our, our responsibility to be promoting the best that the cannabis industry has to offer and help guide it in a positive direction. So, you know, you didn't really ever go under the radar. You know, as a tourism company, you had to be blatant and out in the media from day one. So I'm curious to what degree you interacted with the city of Seattle, you know, not necessarily asking for permission. I mean, maybe you did, but but did you ever reach out to them to say, hey, can we get an informational meeting just to let you know who we are? Or how did you interact with the city? You know, you know uh, we, we certainly have spoken with Pete Holmes and we've spoken with some of the marijuana policy people. Uh, but the reality is because we are such, such an ancillary company, uh, meaning we don't buy, sell, or touch the product, uh, there's very little risk involved. It's like a sightseeing tour. All we do is we, we talk about weed. Granted, it's incredibly in-depth and we get to show you some things and it's really interactive. Uh, but at the same time, tours aren't regulated. Information is not regulated. So, so we were able to skirt those laws. Now, <laughs> staying, uh, staying in compliance with the Washington Department of Transportation and all that has its own challenges as well, and that's extremely difficult to do. Uh, but but we, we never had uh, a big problem with staying in compliance uh, when it has to do with the cannabis industry. Right on. Well, that's good to know. And it, and it also probably helps out with uh, the idea that you guys wanted to keep your risk as low as possible as well. You know, it's time for us to take another short break and we will be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast is going to sound a bit different going forward. We are now producing our podcasts in-house so we can have more control over how they sound. We want to make them an even better listening experience for you. That means the show is going to sound a little bit less produced and whiz-bang, and a bit more down-to-earth and pleasant on the ears. We didn't use to control the commercial content, and we, and many of you, thought it sounded out of sync with the rest of the vibe of the show. Going forward during the commercial breaks, we're going to bring you companies that we believe in. We're going to tell you about them, we're going to tell you how to get in contact with them, and then we'll get right back to the show. Pretty simple, really. This change also means we are booking our own commercials now. If you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way we can offer, drop us an email at grow at gontrepreneur.com and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. It is our hope and intention that these changes will make the podcast an even more pleasant listening experience. Thanks for listening and being part of the Gontrepreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Michael Gordon, co-founder of Kush Tourism. So, Michael, you know, we've gotten through the, the business aspects of it, but I know that there are people listening that are thinking to themselves, can I get stoned on the bus? And you've already been clear that you guys don't provide cannabis, but I do know that retailers 
are are you know part of your stops. So break it down for us for people who want to know blatantly: can they do the tour high, and when can they get stoned? How does that play into the tour? So, so we kind of alluded to earlier the fact that that you're not allowed to provide any sort of place for someone to smoke uh, that's in public, or if you have any financial gain to be had. Unfortunately, the answer to that is there's no consumption allowed between the start and end of the tour. With that being said, have I ever had a customer show up to our tour high? Most of them. Uh, have I ever had people smoke after the tour is over? Probably like 99% of them have found a way to consume. I, I think here in the state of Washington, it's like a $27 fine for getting caught smoking in public. I don't know of anybody who's gotten a ticket, uh, but it's surely on the lowest of low priorities. So uh, consumption, is, and consumption is really not the focus of our tour. Uh, you can go home, you can get high, you can hotbox your car if you really want to, although you're it's illegal and you're not supposed to. Uh, but what's truly unique is the experience we're able to provide and, and just the intimate access to, to the behind-the-scenes look of the industry. So do you find people are, are waiting for the tour so it hasn't officially started and people are token up because they already know that they can't toke on the tour? So the, the folks are told in advance that, that you're not going to be hitting your bong in the van. <laughs> yeah, you, you, and I, I think that most of the people already have, have shown up high. Uh, it's never a disappointment. The tour is so interactive. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking with a master grower about how they do clones and how they trim their buds and why the strain looks the way it does and why should you grow the strain. That, that smoke, there's almost no time for smoking. Smoking takes away from the experience. Uh, would, I, I, would I like you to be able to consume pot on the tour? Oh, heck yeah. I would love that. And at some point, we'll have those laws changed. It's, it's obviously going to come at some point. We'll see these vapor lounges open up. Uh, I know that we had Club Zero here. Uh, give it a shot in Seattle, and and there was a brief, very brief window of time uh, where you had a place where you could go and consume, and it wasn't a Class C felony. And God, goodness knows that uh, as soon as it happens again, we're going to be there. <laughs> we're going to be there on day one for our, for our clients. So, so do you give your your guests a, a you know don't get too high talk at the beginning to kind of you know put them in check? We always preach responsible consumption. Uh, you know, I'd say typically we don't have the the massive stoners who are taking gram dabs on our tour. Uh, you know, we, we have folks who, who smoke in the evening, they smoke occasionally. Maybe they smoke five joints in a day, uh, but they aren't the kind of folks who are going to be stuck to their couch, and that that's their preferred method of living. You know, these these are the boomer population. These are the folks who are out there wanting to try new foods, explore new places, travel the world. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I forget the question to be honest, Shango. <laughs> That's right. It was, it was, the question was just, do you, do you give them an orientation and not get too baked? And you've certainly answered that. So, so let's, let's say that I was going to go on the tour today. So if I was going to go on the tour today, where would you take me in, let's say in Seattle? Great question. So, so the tour is about a three and a half hour experience. And it focuses on the how it's made of cannabis. We started the Boro School of Glass here in Seattle. This is one of the premier pipe blowing schools. Uh, it's run by Nathan Awita, who goes by Nate Dizzle, uh, the inventor of the Swiss Perk, which is this incredible percolation device uh, if you've never tried it. Uh, but we take you through how to make a pipe in the, the first pipe blowing school here on the West Coast. Uh, you can see it from start to finish. Heck, you can even purchase your pipe and smoke from it later that day if, you, if you'd like. Uh, from there, we visit Dog Star Cannabis and learn how plants are grown, how they are brought into flower, how they're trimmed, how they're cured. Uh, once again, it's the How It's Made tour. We're able to talk to Jeff there, their master grower, who's actually a professional arborist for over 30 years. And I know Dogstar was looking to uh, 
to bring somebody who wasn't from within the industry to bring just this, this incredible cultivation knowledge and a different approach. And Jeff does a, a great job. I know that their, uh, I believe it was their Ewok, just tested over 30%. They tested it 10 times <laughs> to see if that was true. Uh, from there, we always try to involve a processor uh, so they're able to see how cannabis oil is made. I know there's a big negative stigma with BHO, butane hash oil, butane honey oil, because people are blowing up their houses. But you'll see in the, in the legal industry that and it's so regulated. I mean, they're in blast-proof rooms, the spark-free lights, the air is being circulated every 15 seconds. Uh, it's important to understand that dabbing has its uses, you know, not only for medical patients who need that level of, of potency, but because you're removing plant matter from that equation. If you can figure out how to dab in moderation, then it's actually going to be a cleaner high for you. Uh, and then uh, from there, we'll, of course, visit one or two retail stores. Uh, I think it's important that you have an opportunity to buy a product. Uh, there's so many nice ones to choose from here in Seattle. We're very, very gifted uh, and lucky to be able to show that as our industry. And we try and bring in a, a couple Seattle viewpoints as well. So you, you guys who are traveling from out of state can come here and, and see the sites, take that photo uh, in front of the plants, but also with Seattle as your backdrop. Awesome. And that actually sounds like something that I would enjoy myself. Shango, you should come on a tour sometime. <laughs> I'd love to have you. I was actually a little jealous. I was stoked because uh, you guys made a, a, a tour donation to the Vashon Island Marijuana Entrepreneurs Alliance meeting uh, last week that I, I was there. And uh, and 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 when when it was announced that there was a free tour that you guys had put on, you know, everybody was all excited to to win the tour. And yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get my act together and and come on the tour myself. Well, Michael, we have reached the end of our time. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really uh, appreciative that you that you took the time with to be with us and to explain to us not only how the tour works, but the trials and tribulations that you've had in getting it set up. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Shango. It's, it's exciting to be able to share our experiences, especially as an ancillary, ancillary company. We have the opportunity to work with everybody. It's a gift and a blessing. And if you guys are out there trying to join the cannabis industry, uh, give it a shot. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity right now. To find out more about Cush Tourism, you can go to their website at Cush tourism.com. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show was produced by Pat Paquette. I'm your host, Shango Lose.